Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be with you, Father John and Father Michael Lachlan. First time ever. First time ever, and uh, happy to, after a little turbulence here with the uh, equipment, <laughs> as always, we've got our coffee mugs. If uh, I sound flustered. That's yeah. right. Where'd you get that coffee mug? <laughs> Victoria made this for me. <laughs> Tell them what it says. It's the worst priest ever. That's good. It's actually really funny because when I first got this, I just posted it on Facebook and all I put was a picture of it. And I put my parishioners love me a lot or something like that. I got so many defensive messages oh, yeah. like, you know, who is this and what are they thinking? We're going to find him. No one took it as sarcastic. And even people that I know really well were like, we love you. It was just, it was so affirming as if I was like in the depths of despair from getting this mug. This is the worst priest ever on That's it. That's hilarious. It was a joke. So, Well, I have to confess I'm a little uh, gun shy with the... Um with the uh, banter this morning because I was getting lamb blasted by our friend Andrea Polito late into the night. Maybe that last bourbon uh, uh, gave a little extra raw cut, but she was complaining about our our banter getting longer and longer. And I was just like, you know, we got a lot of we got a lot of people who are giving us uh, advice on this, and uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of like you know, we like our friends, but it was counteracted by meeting the. Um, all these SY guys, the new spiritual audio guys right. yesterday, they were a little uh, starstruck when they saw Father <laughs> Mike Rapp with his Weltmeisterschaft haircut in the um, in the library in the seminary. So great to meet those guys and uh, to meet people. But Andrea Polito, we're going to stretch this thing out as long as we can this morning because we haven't had enough coffee yet. So. I'm guessing the SY guys like the banter. I mean, that that's at least the feedback we get on social media is they love it. It's only our friends are the ones who criticize the banter, and they're the ones that like actually know what our lives are. So you'd think they, I guess maybe they're just hearing it for the second time or something. Who knows? That is but. a good point. Yeah, they're the ones who are like, we don't care what you had for breakfast at Jelly again, which was a great exactly. breakfast. Yeah, yeah, it was. I had the same thing I have every morning though. Father Michael is uh, friends with all of the. Uh, the wait staff at this uh, local restaurant, uh, breakfast joint, and uh, we just had a little breakfast this morning. So we're in uh, his. Uh, this is just weird. It's like a time warp, almost. You know, it's like I'm not in Rome right. podcasting with Father Mike, right? And we've switched everything up. So here we are together, and I'm uh, hanging in your in this the man cave here. Yeah. We got like Byzantine books stacked at the ceiling, icons, and then like. <laughs> All these man movies, DVDs on the side here. So It's nice living in a determined house of men because the entire place is a man cave. As you exactly. can see, like there is – actually, you know what? Musset was the one who hung all of these pictures like five years ago. So oh, really? we, we had gone to Israel together. When he came back, he's like, hey, let's hang out. And he came on a Wednesday, which is not my day off, but it right, was his. Right. And so he walked in here and he goes – Literally, after being here for five years, I hadn't put a thing on the walls. The walls were completely bare, and they had bookshelves all along that wall. And my predecessor did so. He's like, well, if you can't hang out, then can I like turn your house to actually make it look like a house? I was like, sure. So I went out for sick calls. I came back. He'd taken the shelves off, patched the holes, repainted the holes, hung up. He like went into my room and found all my icons and hung them up on the walls. That's impressive. And I came back, and it actually looked like a real living yeah, room like after five years of living here. Yeah. That's impressive, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what, um, you know, we love celibacy and we believe in it, but it's amazing when, you, without the feminine touch, things get a little gnarly real, real quick. We got three guys living in, uh, three companions living in a one-bedroom uh, rectory down the street at Larkin's place, and yeah. uh, it's getting a little getting a little gnarly. Uh, <laughs> things are just disappearing. There's some kind of, like, black hole that most of my stuff is just every day kind of falling into, so I'll go back to Rome much more simplified with uh, right. far less things. So. Well, you know who's the feminine touch I hear? I haven't 
used her services yet, but the feminine touch, I think, for all the companions of ours are house ghosts is your mom. Mary Nupple. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, it's funny. I was talking to the archbishop yesterday, and he was like, I heard your mother doesn't like uh, Father Nathan's new rectory. And I was like, wow, you're really up on everything <laughs> because that's true. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, she's got the... Uh, She's kind of got this like Mary Mary Nepple makeover thing. It could be a television show, probably, nice. you know, where she comes nice. in with her her pack of friends. So, so here we are. We better get get rolling yeah, here because okay. I uh, the wrath of Andrea, the wrath of Polito. <laughs> I have a uh, topic that I'm really passionate about today. This is one of those kind of uh, riffing on um, companions themes, you know, companions mm-hmm. variation themes, which are kind of always coming back to because we read this uh, rule of life every day. And um, we think about it a lot and uh, pray about these questions. And so the topic today um, is this thing called mutual help. I'm watching the clock here because uh, I could go on this for hours, hours, hours. I wouldn't mind at all. So um, backstory. Father Michael and I are holding in our hands uh, copies of the rule of the Companions of Christ. Several years ago, we got to a point in the association where... um, We started to realize God was doing something, but we felt like we needed to devote a year to just pray and to actually write um, a rule of life. So this is not one of these kind of like the rule of St. Benedict or St. Augustine, or this is not not particularly profound, but it helps to articulate and express what we're trying to live. And every day we read, um, read one chapter of the, um, of the rule of life. Mm -hmm. Now in the companions, you you say to yourself, okay, who are these guys? What are they about? Well, there's a lot of ways to, to be a priest, and there's a lot of ways that God calls us to do it. But what, one of the things we're interested in is, you know, how do you cultivate uh, real friendship and fraternity? And that was one of the big questions. So how do we become men of communion? That's the point of the com- companions. And uh, when we were doing this, when we were talking about this, we came up with these three words, three qualities, so to speak. This is what we're looking for in each other. This is what we want to cultivate in each other. These are the, the the qualitative aspects of the companions because a lot of times you know people think about their vocation and this isn't just priests this is marriage this is everybody um, relationships are not just about doing things together you know it's about the way that we do things together yeah so the priests are not just about you and I hang out and have breakfast together but we should be discussing living relating in a way that's different yeah so really we're looking at the impacting quality. each other's lives exactly. Yeah. And those three qualities are vulnerability, mutual help, and friendship. Yeah. And that's what, we, uh, that's what we call them. So I'm not sure how familiar you are even actually with this, if this has ever been treated in summer conference, because I live in Rome, and I'm the one who's always kind of right. cooking up ideas. We actually, stuff, I was but. laughing because when I, when I pulled out my rule, um, Wagner at the last association gathering had picked mutual help as his topic for the, for the conference. So, so our, our spiritual director of the Companions, Father Brady Wagner gives some sort of reflection on the rule every once a month on Thursdays when we meet for association gathering, and he chose mutual help. So I, I actually underlined a couple parts of some of the quotes he. Oh, had, fantastic! Um, if they if they will help, he's but. kind of the author of this area. So the two guys who who got this on the radar because you think to yourself, why why did you choose these three things? Yeah. Vulnerability of life we've talked about a lot. Uh, we've done podcasts on it, and we call that the existential foundation of the life. Mm-hmm. You want to have friendship. It starts with how do you posture yourself in a way of vulnerability. Right. Um, that that's what kind of begins friendship. And friendship is the goal. So I, I kind of paint the picture as like think of a bridge, you know, between um, vulnerability and friendship. So I go into a situation, kind of disclosing my interior, who I am, these things. How does that transfer into 
friendship, right. which is the ultimate goal. Vulnerability, mutual help, friendship. Mutual help is this the bridge, so to speak. Mm. Father Matt, when we were Father Matt book, when we were studying um, the uh, just the vocations in the church, we realized you know mutual help classically for centuries has been known as one of the ends of uh, marriage. So mm. why do you get married? Procreation and generation of children, number one. Number two, mutual help towards sanctification. Yeah. And then number three, remedy for concupiscence. Mm. Um, so the, one, of the, one of the reasons you get married is the helpmate, so to speak. Yeah. And what's curious is in the last century, the church has started to use that language around priestly fraternity as well. So mutual help, why do you and I exist in a fraternal bond relationship? It's for this mutual help thing as well. So whenever there's a bond, sacramental bond, there's some kind of thing with, uh, with mutual help. So Matt Book put that on the radar. But I was kind of like, what is this? Like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and then I read the book, A River Runs Through It. Have you ever read that? No. It's fantastic. Seen the movie. You saw yeah. the movie. Okay, yeah. the movie's good, but the, the book is even more Christian. And uh, one reason I like the book is because the point of the book basically is, how do you help somebody that you can't help? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. And that's the question that we have to frame the bridge, so to speak, of mutual help. You hit these points in life where people are disclosing their hearts, vulnerable, vulnerable. but you can't change them. You mm-hmm. can't fix them. And if you try to change them or fix them, you're actually going to do a lot more damage. And I have a, I have a pretty bad track record of uh, the last <laughs> like 15 years of my life learning the hard lessons yeah. of how you help people, hmm. which is very, very different than I think we uh, realize. Yeah, yeah. So, so much of, uh, it's funny, we were just talking yesterday at a meeting at the podcast, like, make sure you don't just dominate the conversation. Here we are, I'm just like talking to you. (laughs) So I apologize for, you know, 24 hours later going back against uh, our quality control conversation on the podcast. No, 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 my my bad too. I'm I'm trying to, I'm I'm learning here as much as as I'm just, I'm I'm just receiving, but it, it is... The mutual help, I think, too, what, what struck me when you were saying that is one thing I had actually never thought about in, in even meditating on this passage was the mutual part. Right. And I, I want you to get in. I don't want to cut you off. But there, there's something about the, the help within the companions. We offer help because we receive help. And that's where the mutual part comes in. So, you know, there's this vulnerability is two-way street. We, we're all vulnerable with each other. And that vulnerability then we were opening ourselves up for the, the good parts of our heart, but also the, the, the struggles and the weaknesses. And when we, when we all have been vulnerable and can see the weaknesses and then can then offer help to those parts of the weaknesses, or at least try. So, but what I, what I hear you're getting at is, is according to the movie or the book there, there's a, what do you do when you, when the vulnerability is there at the present, you see the weaknesses, but where does the help come in? That's exactly right. And I, um, I've, uh, I think about this a lot. In fact, so much so when I was, I was laughing when I was looking at this rule, Etsy is an amazing website, <laughs> but supposedly they're kind of selling out. Um, that's what oh. I hear from, uh, hipster friends. Etsy's getting a little too corporate. Uh, okay. Jacob Midget told us that, but these, uh, these, um, wood bound, uh, rules that we have are yeah. from, I think they're from like Oregon, some guy in Oregon put them together. Maggie Cure knows. Anyways. The um, I think they look awesome. Thank you. They look actually like lots like Gobel's Rectory. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> everything is medieval. Wood, medieval. Yeah. The uh, Gobel's. Have you talked about his rectory yet? I'm sorry to digress. I don't. I, I think he's mentioned it here and there, but it is unbelievable. It's hard to do it justice without actually seeing it. He calls it Wayne Manor from Batman. <laughs> um, it's like a 1960s Brady Bunch set that no one ever changed. Yeah. And uh, 
I guess it's a uh, like a German hunting lodge that was the vision in the 1960s. That's so. exactly what it looks like. It's just weird enough to fit him Velvet per- perfectly. Velvet exactly. images on the walls and yeah. Yeah, it feels like you're walking through a Rorschach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so exactly. when, I, when I look at this um, rule I'm showing you, I'm showing Father uh, Michael this, the mutual help page is completely filled <laughs> with scribbles notes, and nice. notes, most of which are illegible because I'm... I'm most interested in this bridge, so to speak. Yeah. How do I get from vulnerability to friendship with people that I love? And what does mutual help actually look like? Mm. And it's really difficult. And I remember a couple of years ago, we were talking about this. And Father Brady, in a flash of brilliant insight, as he occasionally does when he mm. comes out of his melancholic slumber, <laughs> he, said, he said these three words. He was describing the bridge, so to speak, of mutual help. He said, I think what we're about is reverence, intercession, and encouragement. Yeah. So when we so when someone asks you what is mutual help, well, at least according to the companions, um, we think of it as reverence, intercession, and encouragement. So mutual help is very, very different when you think of it like this. To I'm going to fix your life. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you, and I'm going to I'm going to go about it. And I'm going to fix you, and um, that's just the most destructive thing I think we can do to relationships. Hmm. I was at this wedding in upstate New York in Hobbiton, Atlanta, and uh, now Kevin Mahon. Man, sometimes you get these last names at these weddings, and you've been pronouncing it wrong for I, five years. When, when I hone Alana on, on Facebook, I'm like, how do you pronounce that? I didn't oh, even want to try. Don't yeah. even. Okay. No, yeah, be, that's, a, that's a minefield you don't want to run through. <laughs> I was in Italy, and I was in a town called Alanya the week before Alana's <laughs> wedding. I was like... Oh my! And then Mahon, they're like it's Mahon, and I've been saying Alana. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, anyways, uh, the point of this is that uh, she and I had a, a lovely conversation before the wedding, and we talk a lot about this. I'm thinking about her right now. Mm-hmm. But her maid of honor, uh, her sister Maggie, gave a beautiful speech where she quoted Father Gronsky talking about this. And Father Gronsky is the one uh, we always keep talking about uh, when he yeah. passed away. And um, but he has this great thing where he talks about. You know, there's two ways to form the human heart. You go in with a scalpel, you just cut away all the weaknesses. Mm. And you go in, and, and this is the kind of thing when you start saying to, when I start thinking to myself, if my friend, Father Michael, Olaf, if he was just this or this or this, and if he didn't have this, right. and if he did this, then I would be more fulfilled in this relationship. Right. Whoa, dangerous. Yes. Get the scalpel out. The other option, of course, is to not actively try and change your heart. But right. to create a space, a garden, a hedge around it, so to speak, where it can rehabilitate itself. That's what we're going for with this reverence, intercession, mm. and encouragement thing. So thoughts, feelings, desires yeah. on that before I continue to ramble. There's something about the the first one of those, the reverence, that you know, we we oftentimes like to use use celibacy as an example. You know, there's when we're growing up, celibacy is absurd. You know, when you're young and and you're you're learning about relationships, and when you're learning about uh, having a companion and someone, you know, marriage just makes so much sense. We we desire it. It's it's an immense desire. And then when those of us who are called to celibacy, when we start feeling this call, we we never try to undermine or try to you know, um, simplify or, or to delegate marriage to something lesser than what we're doing. Like you have to understand marriage for the beautiful thing that it is in order to have the freedom to discern celibacy. So there's something about when I, when I say I, as a man, a created man, I I feel called to the goods of marriage. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like I desire those things and I feel called to those things, but there's something about what the goods of marriage that are offered to a man, 
th- those are the goods for a reason, and they 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 direct us towards Christ, like you said, the mutual help that comes in marriage. So there's almost this overarching umbrella that that involves the the goods of that can come through marriage or they can come through celibacy the same needs of a man the same the same um goods that that he participates in in order to receive his salvation those goods can happen in marriage or in celibacy so we're, the umbrella good over both of those things is is what allows both to be at peace and to feel fulfilled in their vocation right. so you you might say the goods are are of intimacy with God. You either have that through mediated through a spouse, or you have it in direct relation of celibacy and in the ministry that comes with celibacy. So you you have these goods that can are felt in different ways in those two vocations, but they're still felt. Both are felt. So when you have reverence for somebody, you could say, I might be looking in this this person's heart, and I can see all the things that I consider wrong, and I want to take a scalpel and remove those things, but I could be wrong about what the overarching issue is. Right. And usually when when the overarching issue is reflected upon, I mean, again, I, I've been a priest 11 years, most of the issues I see are, are loneliness, are mom and dad issues, you know, something about a lack of community, especially a community when the person was young. And so... A reverence can be giving someone the affirmation or the 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 human dignity that actually starts to solve other problems. Like right. if I have reverence for someone, that can you might not identify is that something this man needs, but as soon as I am identifying positively in him and 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 I saying I love you. You're you're a child of God. You're someone that I want to impact my life in some sort of a sacramental bond, the covenant relationship. That can help him without even being the specific issues, but it's a generalized umbrella issue that then allows the person to deal themselves along with Christ and with my help if they want it, the smaller issues, because the the larger issues are being worked on without me even knowing right, it. Right, right. And I think that's that's the key to reverence is the um – is the presupposition that I actually don't know what's right. best for this right. person. I, I was thinking about this morning, you and I were at breakfast, and uh, and you were just talking a little about a friend of yours going through a hard time. And um, you're, the way you're dealing with it is from the, from a perspective of reverence. And what that means is you're, you're not freaking out like I always do. Right. You're not trying to control <laughs> and fix everything, um, driven by fear. Um, yesterday I was talking to the bishop again, and I off the cuff said, you know, I'm yeah, – just kind of a very controlling person. And he goes, no, you? And I was like, no, what you're supposed to say is, no, you're not. So anyways, even even our good old Archbishop knows. Yeah. So I, like, I liked what, what you were doing this morning. And I think the, the question I'm most interested in is the relationship between vulnerability and reverence. Mm. So if, if you think of the bridge again, reverence, intercession, and encouragement, um, especially in difficult situations, you... Um, uh, that little relationship between vulnerability and reverence, that's the one I, I, I find to be uh, the most fascinating thing because mm-hmm. reverence is a spiritual posture towards all of reality. Yeah. And I think I read, let me, there you go, uh, Von Hildebrand talks about reverence is allowing being to reveal itself, mm. allowing being to reveal itself. And the being of one's vulnerability or interiority, instead of grasping at it, when you get a little taste of it and say, this is the problem, you got to do this, or you got to do this, or fix your life, or I want to help you. Uh, but just kind of saying, let's just step back a little bit and let's allow this thing to reveal itself. So right. we think of reverence as kind of this like, uh, I don't know, 
like real stiff formal way of posturing you know you gotta have your hands right you know in a certain way or something like that but but reverence is not it's a it's a spiritual kind of receptivity almost i think Mm. it's a gentleness a masculine gentleness for men that you sense and it's not stiff it's uh there's um there's kind of a beauty to it women do this very naturally um guys we have to struggle and uh i remember one time i uh just wanted to kill uh, Father Brian Larkin. I don't know what the topic was. It was probably something so stupid. And I just was, a, he was picking me up mm. and this was years ago. And I was about ready to just absolutely just, just decapitate him. I mean, I was just going in for blood right away mm. and I wanted to just completely lay him out. And uh, for some reason, grace was actually active in my soul <laughs> for that moment. And I realized, you know what? That might not be the best thing to do. Right. Um, why don't you just wait a little bit? Instead of me always first to act, you know, we got in the car and, uh, I just said, how's your day? How you doing? And he started to disclose and he had had a really terrible day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, in the priest, every life you, you have rough days and we got to the topic that I needed to talk about, Yeah, but we did it through yeah. this very interesting way. His vulnerability, my ability to, to reverence it. And then we even like, we even had some prayer together, praying in the office together and then I was able, he was able to kind of acknowledge something and I was able to encourage him in that. And it was like this full process. And I was like, whoa, this is way better <laughs> than the usual, like uh, detonation of relationships that I uh, usually go. And it was like, it was a real moment of like, yeah, this is kind of the way we need to, we need yeah. to go about this thing. There, there's something about just the reverence of the person as someone created an image likeness of God. You know, someone baptized, and there, there's, there's a reverence due to everybody. I, I shared with my vocation story the reality that when I came home in third grade, just head over heels for this girl, and I was like, "Mom, I know the girl I'm going to marry." You know, the, it's all set, and she said to me, "Like, you're first of all, you're like eight, and you know, the, you're, you're going to fall in love with any young woman because they're all worthy of love. Every everybody's worthy of love, and when you see that in the person, then you love them actively, and then." That, that that can be the reverence. So like people that are really, really hard to love, you know, they've piled up, you know, they've been victims. So they, they've piled up all this damage, all this baggage they've piled up onto themselves. And you can say it's hard to love them because of everything they've piled on to the basic human that God created. Mm-hmm. So like if there's someone that's really frustrating to you and you just can't get over, you know, their personality or whatever it is, I just like force myself to imagine them as an infant, like, mm-hmm created in the image likeness of God, this beautiful soul, exactly the way God intends for them to be when they're a child, like, and let me love them there, you know, let me find that without all, without all the other baggage. And that's probably what can help someone in the mutual help is if we are able to find in them the, the child of God, we're able to, we're able to see in them and to love the pure center that has not been that has not been defiled. You know, it's possible through mortal sin, et cetera, to defile ourselves completely. But if we can find that center, we can reverence that. We can reverence the God in them that is always present. And if, if we see it in them, they might see it in them. Then they might desire purity and purification, everything else, that to, to find that God center again, while at the same time through our vulnerability, especially in a community like the Companions, we're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find your God center where, where God dwells in you. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing for me through vulnerability mm-hmm. so that we can love each other from that place, true and sincere in spite and because of all the garbage we pile up on top of ourselves. But if we, we can reverence that in the person and then they can, you know, see it in themselves and desire to, to find that again through their daily activities, they can in a sense wear their heart in their sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. Reverence as a, as a kind of perception of the divine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so many times the Christian life just, 
as as Chesterton says, it feels dull and humdrum. Um, but it's it, it on the surface it looks like that, but it's really not. It's about being able to see spiritually in a completely different way. Yeah, you see everything in yeah. a different way. And so when we talk about this um, in grace, there's this profound capacity for a deepened and a different kind of perception, and the reverence that kind of postures itself with that is um it's natural so yeah. if you if you're able to see that in a person despite all their brokenness or whatever um you, you you can just take a different approach and uh it's it's i think it's the only way for a heart to really rehabilitate yeah. when i think about my experiences of getting burned in the last in the years to come uh in the past years or relationships and you know the things that are hardest for me the, the most painful things is uh betrayal and a lot of times that comes through people who really do love and are really trying to love. Yeah. And I think if if the most damage I've done to people in the years is is really trying to love and mm. um you just you got to just die to that desire to fix people yeah. and realize that helping is about some it's a totally different way um to helping. So uh two last points on this and then I'm going to wrap it up because otherwise cuz this has been anticipated as the longest podcast ever because you and I are so <laughs> extroverted. So that's true. Um so two more points on okay. uh, on this, uh, there's a book by Johannes Metz uh, that we read this uh, spring, a little book on poverty. And he, he had this very interesting line where he says, anxiety is always rooted in scorned poverty. Hmm. And that, that really struck me because, um, well, I'm an anxious person. Everybody yeah. knows that. Uh, it was around me. But um, scorned poverty as the source of anxiety. Hmm. So um, vulnerability, let's say you disclose yourself you know, in a way. And, um, your disclosure, um, is something that I just kind of can't handle. Mm. I can't, I don't like it. And whatever it is in me that you're triggering, I just can't kind of can't take it. So this, when we scorn poverty and we're led into anxiety, it's exact, it's kind of the antithesis or the opposite of, um, reverence instead of being able to really receive it and kind of search for the Lord in that mm. presence of God in, in the midst of this this person, this mystery that I'm trying to reverence, um, I just, I, I, I start to turn into myself and anxiety, you know, in the Latin is angustia, just kind of the, the narrowing of, uh, of one's vision instead of the expanding of one's vision, which is what reverence does. And so I just kind of offer that as Hmm. for those of you who might be in maybe just in a tough spot in your marriage or in friendships and uh, you're just feeling really anxious it's probably because you're scorning the poverty that you're encountering hmm. and it might even be in yourself as well. Just to, to just that kind of deep hatred of what is manifesting itself instead of saying Christ has a preferential love of the poor. Yeah. And that means in ourselves as well. He loves our poverty and uh, somehow we have to reconfigure our lives for that. So, so poverty in this sense is, is like my weakness. Yeah. In other words, I'm, I'm being, in my vulnerability, I'm showing you the weak parts of me, the parts I don't, I don't ordinarily show to the world, but I'm showing it to you because of a specific relationship that we have, and a, and a, even maybe even a desire for mutual help. But when I'm when I'm opening myself up and showing my poverty and my vulnerability, and my weaknesses, if if you're not able to handle it, then then I you feel anxiety and I feel anxiety, exactly. which is the opposite of the reverence we should feel for each other and the God in each other. Exactly. Okay. So that's kind of a litmus if you're feeling that 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 anxiety and that urgency of like, this has to change. I have to fix this thing and I'm responsible for this. You're probably not responsible. It's probably not urgent. Right. And the anxiety is probably just because you're too afraid of the poverty, the, the, 
the precariousness yeah. or the kind of the abject character of the poverty that you all of a sudden are facing. Yeah. And along with reverence, that's probably a really good point. I, I've I've had to tell myself this, and I've told many other people that, that when you go in to love someone, it's very, very important to understand that God loves them more than you do. Right. And God's been working on them for a lot longer than you have. Right. And, and you, you're stepping into a project that God has already begun and that he's already very intimately working on. So we should never have a fear of, like, if I don't fix this person, they're not going to be fixed. Exactly. You know, because it, we're just we're doing the work of God in vulnerability, but also mutual help. So there's this there's this peace we should have. Like, I'm, if God opens the door for me, I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to be ashamed or anxious about I have to be one of the fixed person, or it's just not going to happen. That's just not not true. Right. Mutual help is not mutual responsibility right. necessarily. Right. And even with your spouse or your brother priest. Yeah. And we have to face that fact. You know, if I crash and burn in my life and my vocation and you guys are around that and you're my companions and you're supposed to be helping me and everybody around you says why aren't you helping him you have to be free enough to say we're doing our part we're seeking the lord in this but we're ultimately not responsible for my for his life yeah and that's a really to get to that point Ooh, it's tough it's hard this is hard work so i'll close with this a little pithy phrase that i that came one day in prayer and uh, my brother used to know a guy who would write quotes and we always thought that was funny because it's like you don't write quotes people <laughs> write books and then people take quotes yeah. out of books but he would write quotes and put them on his uh, on his door or something random <laughs> this is my quote uh when i think about the bridge you know going back to the bridge of mutual help where the the, the point of contact between vulnerability and reverence this is how i would describe it i would say that vulnerability is to disclose one's poverty in such a way as it can be encountered and reverence is to encounter one's poverty in such a way as it can be disclosed. Hmm. So I'll say that again. And then if you like this, you can, you can take it. Otherwise you can take the quote off your door. Vulnerability to disclose one's poverty in such a way as it can be encountered. So vulnerability, I'm, I'm showing my poverty so that you can encounter it. Mm-hmm. And reverence is to encounter one's poverty in such a way as it can be disclosed. This is one of those quotes that kind of takes some time to kind of unpack and, and really think about. But all of this is about how do vulnerability and reverence work in the experience of, of an encounter with the other? I, I like that because my interpretation of that is that vulnerability is opening our hearts up and, and not only open them up, opening them up for the sake of opening them up, but it's their oats. I'm opening up my heart as a gift to the other. Right. And then reverence is the reception of that gift. Right. So vulnerability can be a giving of a gift of myself, which is of course, Christ-like the reverence is the receiving of the gift of the other in, in a way of, of, of being like a Christian or receiving the gift of Christ. So vulnerability is not only seen as something negative. Of course, we understand this very well as companions. Vulnerability with another is seen as this hard, but but it's also a gift. Right. And then in reverence, I've received the gift, and I, oh, God willing, I receive it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The, um, yeah, and that's, and that's it. You know, you get to that point where you realize, is this really a gift? <laughs> you know, when I'm vulnerable, yeah, it's like, yeah. this, is, this is so embarrassing and ridiculous and, and uh but it is. It's a gift. But I think that that's the, the point of, of what you were saying earlier is that there's we need to have what, what I would call the you know the eyes of faith. Mm-hmm. We we need to be able to see what most other people can't see. In other words, when when we see vulnerability, especially in our society today, is not seen as something positive at all. Like I I, I, I never show my weaknesses. I, I convince myself that I'm strong. I convince myself that I'm good, and I make everybody else 
the same thing. I make everybody else say, oh, no, you're good. You're doing fine. What you're doing is great. The vulnerability is something that we need to have the eyes to see that as a good thing. And that's not something that comes easy. Yeah. Not only not only we need to see it as a good thing that we are vulnerable, but also see it as a good thing when others are vulnerable with us. Mm-hmm. Rather than making us uncomfortable and anxious, as you mentioned, is something that, well, you know, we appreciate the gift. You've opened yourself out of me. That's flattering to me. And I'm going to receive it with reverence or at least try to. Amen. Well, I, I hope this topic has been somewhat interesting for you. It's it's kind of obscure, and um, but I think it's it's right at the heart of uh, the daily daily challenge to love. So I could go on and on and on, but we got to we got to wrap this thing up, and uh, we got one more to record before you go. Yeah, right, this morning. right. But if you, if you want to, we, we posted on the on the Facebook page um, our our website. Um, but but the, the rules on our companions website, right? So you can access. and you can find it. And if you want to, this is this is paragraph eleven of our rule perfect. is the paragraph on mutual help. Perfect, perfect. Speaking of websites, uh, proud to announce that the uh, today when this podcast comes out um, will be the uh, actually next week. Sorry, next week. I'm like, what day is it? Yeah. So, <laughs> beginning in September, we're, we'll be launching a new website. Yeah. for Catholic stuff, and very excited. Yeah. It's a great. We got a great. A uh, new guy named Mike Kasberg. Um, so the Mikes have always been helping us. So we want to thank Michael Hickey for years of uh, yeah. just like faithful support uh, across the countries of the East Coast. So grateful to him, John Minto, for all their help. And then uh, grateful for now Mike Kasberg, our, our new, the new Mike yeah. uh, coming on. And so check out the new website, support it, to uh, send it to your friends. I think you'll be able to access the archives um, in a different way. We're right. trying to make it uh, as user-friendly as possible. So hopefully that's helpful. And, um, and yeah, check it out. Send people that way. Yeah, we, we, that'll be about a week after this comes out. And, and I've already, we've already seen it. We've already seen what it'll look like, and it's going to be beautiful. So, right. Absolutely. I got uh, a, a few quick shout-outs, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'd like to make a shout-out first off to all the guys at Five Stones Company in Sycamore, Illinois, and to the entire line of Judah household. Except nice. Elliot Foley. Uh, that's my, my shout-out. So I'm just joking, Elliot. Uh, he doesn't listen to the podcast, but this crew of guys uh, and whatever is happening in Sycamore, hopefully the mutual help continues, especially Steve Durant, my uh, favorite choleric jerk in the Chicago area. We are a little too similar. So that's podcast uh, shout-out number one. Shout-out number two, I was sitting in a hut in, um, in Switzerland, right on the Italian border, and I started talking to this Canadian couple. And they were just super friendly, so you knew they were Canadian, right? Because right. this is not, uh, these are not Germans. And uh, so Adrian and Jody uh, ended up inviting me to dinner that night. This is the day before my, uh, my friends came into Zermatt. So we had a wonderful dinner together. And uh, they live uh, up in, uh, up in uh, that part of Canada that's like actually really far south. It's like just near Detroit there. And uh, so it's actually like the same, um, what do you call it, latitude as Rome, believe it or not, but they're uh, Canadians. So they're avid podcast listeners to Stuff You Should Know. And she uh, actually was like, oh, I heard those guys making fun of you. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not sure if they actually listen, but if they do, I just want to say thank you for a wonderful dinner together in um, in uh, Zermatt, Switzerland, and happy anniversary to you. Nice. I'm good. I don't have my phone on me or anything like that. So. You're good? Okay, <laughs> one last one for me then. My nephew... Um, was asked recently, he's two years old, he was asked recently, who created the world? And he answered Zogio, which is his nickname for me. Uncle, <laughs> Uncle John in Italian. So I'd like to give a shout out to a fine young theologian. Uh, from God. Who got to refine things a little bit, but uh, Zogio created the universe according to Jackson, John Lynch, and so love that kid. Excited to see him soon. So, 
we'll wrap it up here. Yeah. Great to be with you, brother. You too. This, this is, is a joy. Great. I'm looking forward to coming back at this round two and uh, and hopefully a, a good topic. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Check out the new website. Absolutely. God bless you. Okay, take care.